Truth Jihad Radio is 100% crowdfunded and therefore fearless and independent. Please help us stay that way. You can subscribe at my Substack. That's kevinbarrett.substack.com. Or you could send a one-time PayPal donation to truthjihad at gmail.com. The key thing is don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome, this is the live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, waging the all-out struggle for truth on the internet airwaves since 2006. From an old ice cream trailer currently parked somewhere in the woods of western Wisconsin oh, at a thoroughly undisclosed location. But I will be at a somewhat less undisclosed location soon, moving to Morocco. I'll tell you more about that later. First, let's get into what's happening in tonight's show. In the second hour, Barry Kissin points out that the censors want to tell us that they need to be able to purge the Internet of all dissent because dissenters are inspired by gasp. Vladimir Putin. It's all Putin's fault. All that disinformation, misinformation, and everything that doesn't toe the party line is Putin's fault. Barry Kissin says that this business of blaming everything on Putin and the Russians is getting way out of hand, heading for World War III, etc. So that's the big deal in the second hour. Barry Kissin, by the way, is an expert on the 2001 anthrax false flag attacks. Speaking of which, we have an even bigger anthrax slash bioware expert on here in the first hour that's meryl nass she is well known for her covid truth-telling and for getting witch hunted by the various authorities in the state of maine overseeing medical licensing and things like that and she's standing tall and calling it the way she sees it putting out a lot of great information on her Substack, which we're going to talk about so hey without further ado welcome meryl nass how are you meryl Hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm good too. I'm, I'm drinking decaf, but you wouldn't know it from the way I'm talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> Morocco, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a huge change. It's it's um, kind of a, a wild, crazy adventure, but it's all maktub. That is the will of Allah. <laughs> so I'm with. I'm uh-huh. down with it. <laughs> oh, oh but... I think it's it's wonderful. I certainly enjoyed my time in Morocco, and I have a friend who went to Morocco recently, and perhaps because the food was of so much better quality, uh, a lot of her medical issues went away while she was there. You know, I found that I experience extra good health in Morocco, too, and it probably is partly the good food. Um, as long as you're not eating too much French bread and putting too much sugar in your mint tea, you're <laughs> going to eat pretty well over there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I hope you can come visit, actually, Meryl. We are hoping to bring some influencers over there and, uh, you know, come stay with us and give a couple of talks and that sort of thing. And you're definitely oh, on the to. list. Whereabouts will you be in Morocco? Uh, Saidia, which is on the Algerian border, uh, on the beach. It's the best beach in Africa, some say. Um, really, really nice Mediterranean beach. And uh, it's a part of Morocco that tourists, foreign tourists, don't really visit that much. 
um, which I like, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you can always go from there to other parts of Morocco where the tourists do visit, like Fez and Marrakesh and Chefchaouen and all those cool places. But where we are, right. yeah, it's, it's, uh, we've, there are a lot of, I, I like the intellectual uh, side of the University of Oujda. There are a bunch of, to my mind, kind of authentic, you know, uncorruptible type people there. You know, there's a history of supporting the Algerian Revolution from Oujda and mm-hmm. eastern Morocco. And there's, so those, you know, they're, they're, they're truth lovers and they're, you know, they, they are proud of their culture, their traditional culture and not really down with the new world order forcing one size fits all, you know, uh, woke world yes. down everybody's throats. So, yes. Yeah. Good people. Absolutely. So I, I've spent a lot of time, you know, I was in Morocco for a month, 50 years ago, but I've been in Spain a lot more recently going to Southern Spain and visiting the uh, Moorish uh, ruins and understanding what an advanced culture there was when the Moors took over much of Spain in uh, around 800 and continued to uh, occupy and rule much of Spain until they were slowly um, forced back into Africa um, by 1492, which was the last, um, the last bastion of uh, the Islamic people in, um, ugh, what's the town? It's a beautiful town in Spain. Well, well there, there's Cordoba, and uh, there's, of course, the Alhambra at Granada. Uh, Granada, yeah. yes. Granada was where um, Ferdinand and Isabella uh, conquered the last, um, the last city mm-hmm. of the Moorish Empire. Um, at the same time, they were giving Columbus uh, money to go conquer the United States or wherever it was he was going. Yeah, if you want to read a really fun revisionist history of all of that by somebody who argues that uh, Islamic Spain was sort of the highest point of human civilization, uh, try uh, Maria Menical's book, The Ornament of the World. It's it's a good mm. book. And, you know, some, some folks say, well, that's painting too rosy a picture. But seriously, it was, uh, you know, I think there were, there was something like, you know, dozens of times more books in the library in Cordoba alone than in all of Christian Europe at one point. And clearly that was the most advanced culture in Europe uh, for quite a long time. And a lot of great things came from it into Europe, like the Amour Courtois, courtly love traditions, the troubadour poetry, that sort of thing. You know, mm-hmm. ironically, a lot of people think that, you know, the West invented romantic love and treating women well and all that sort of thing. Actually, women were considered they were property. Legally, they were property in the West. And Islam um, made women equals in the sense that they, too, are you know equal property owners. They're not property. And this thing called futua or chivalry was um, inspired by certain kinds of, you know, Sufi warrior orders and things like that. These kind of warrior monks mm-hmm. who were, uh, if the Islamic ethos is to treat civilians and especially women really, really, really well. Of course, that was sometimes honored more in the breach than the observance, but there, it still was an ideal in Islamic culture. And then that filtered into Southern Europe. And that's where the whole courtly love uh, troubadour thing came from. Uh, People also are often not aware that while the Moors were in charge, the Jews, the Catholics, and the is you know people of Islam um, got along fine together. There was no problem, and it was only um, 
when Ferdinand and Isabella really got the uh, Inquisition going, that they threw out all, all the Moors as well as the Jews. You convert or die or move if you can get out. Um, so it, it's, and then, uh, as you know, many Jews went to Morocco and Algeria and settled there and had cultures that thrived. Um, a lot of uh, not well-known history. Yeah, and then it gets especially interesting because this very thriving Moroccan Jewish culture was ethnically cleansed by the Israelis in the 1950s. They terrorized Moroccan Jews like Iraqi Jews and Yemeni Jews and other Jews of that part of the world, or the, the you know, MENA region, into fleeing. And to do that, mm -hmm. they, they paid off the Moroccan government, so they had free reign to do whatever they wanted. They terrorized the Jews. And actually, the, the worst thing they did was sinking a ship with Jewish uh, people heading for Israel. This was in the early 60s, I forget which year, uh, in order to create a huge PR story and garner oh. enough sympathy to raise a lot of funds to basically force <laughs> the rest of the Moroccan Jews out and, and ship them off to Israel. And the Moroccans, uh, they're, they're inviting the Zionist Jews back. They say, you know, if you're a Moroccan Jew, you're still a Moroccan, you're always a Moroccan, and you're always welcome to come back. How interesting. Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Well, so let's, let's, let's get into the, uh, the free speech side of things because, you know, all, all of these kinds of opinions that we're throwing around, some of them are going to offend somebody. And maybe somebody who gets offended is going to have some power and they're going to try and shut us up. And this is the world we've been increasingly living in. And you've been tracking the battle against censorship on your Substack. You know, you've been fighting censorship yourself, of course, in many different ways. And there have been a lot of really interesting developments just this week. So uh, maybe you could start, pick one and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, so what happened in the last few years, only in the last three to five years, is the government, the U.S. government, along with governments elsewhere and many governments around the world, got the idea simultaneously that they could fool their populations into thinking that there was such a, a crime as misinformation, disinformation, and or malinformation, and that they should encourage citizens to guard against this. This was a great danger to public health and, and to God knows what else. And they should be reporting on this. So the Surgeon General issued a, a brochure about how every sector of society needed to guard against misinformation, malinformation, and each had a role to play. You know, uh, NGOs could donate money for this purpose and companies could do this and education that, blah, blah, blah. And um, the Department of Homeland Security issued a, a warning that, you know, people spreading misinformation, disinformation could be considered terrorists, etc. Now, what's super important for everybody to understand is that the First Amendment, which is the Constitution, is the basis of U.S. law. So every decision that's made by the Supreme Court and by judges around the country is supposed to be based on what is in the Constitution. The Bill of Rights was the first ten amendments, which had to be passed in order to get the Constitution passed way back in the uh, 1880s, 1780s, sorry. So the First Amendment is freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, freedom of the press. And what that means 
is censorship is not allowed. And misinformation is not a crime. Misinformation means you're saying something that isn't true. And you're actually allowed to say whatever, you're allowed to make mistakes. You're even allowed to deliberately tell someone a lie. That's not a crime. People are supposed to be intelligent enough to be able to sort out, you know, what's true and false or what, you know, influences them. And uh, the only time speech is limited is if you're defaming someone, but that's a, you know, you can sue them for defamation, or if you're crying fire in a theater, right? Otherwise, you can say what, if you're Joe Schmo, you can say whatever you want in your personal capacity, or even in your professional capacity, too, with some limits. Like, I can't advise people to drink hemlock, of course, as a doctor, but Incitement, true threats, uh, and and defamation are are key exceptions to protected speech. Thank you. So, so everything, the rest of my speech is protected by the First Amendment. Let me say that again. By law, I can say whatever I want. The government, however, has fooled us because we don't understand the Constitution and the Bill of Rights into thinking that. People are supposed to report misinformation, as the Surgeon General said, report it to the government. You know, we're giving you um, a, a, a website where you can go and make reports and call, and people have been encouraged to call the boards of medicine in their state if they think a doctor is spreading misinformation or another health professional. So in my case, um, two strangers that I've never met and did, neither one knows any of my patients Call, apparently contacted my medical board and said I was spreading misinformation. And the medical board said, we're going to investigate you for that, even though, as I said, it's not really a crime. It's not a crime in law. It's not a crime within the statutes that govern what medical boards can do. But they said, we're going after you. And, and they were encouraged by a private organization, a charity, an NGO called the Federation of State Medical Boards, um, which probably was paid off and was encouraging all the medical boards in the country to start going after doctors who were spreading misinformation. Well, what's misinformation? In this case, it was anything that you said critical of the vaccine, either efficacy or safety. Any, you know, If you were saying hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin work for COVID or you didn't believe in masks or you didn't think masks would be effective the way they were being used for COVID, all of that was designated as misinformation. And um, so many doctors, hundreds or thousands in the United, I think it's thousands because we know in Michigan, hundreds of healthcare professionals were um, being investigated by their boards. So all these doctors got letters saying basically cease and desist or we'll take your license away. And probably most of them did cease and desist. And um, in my case, I, was in, I got investigated for these two allegations of misinformation. Um, but then, uh, the board, you know, there were three lawyers um, on the medical board staff. And so uh, they must have realized that misinformation would not be good enough if I fought back to charge me with. So they went looking for other things. And they, so then they charged me with prescribing ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine to three people. And um, they said, okay, it's, and then they immediately suspended my license without a hearing. So I never got to tell them anything about what I had been doing or defend myself. And my medical license was suspended a year and a half ago as a, an immediate threat to the people of Maine. Um, 
However, there is, there is a statute. There are several statutes that govern the medical board, and one of them tells them what they're allowed to immediately suspend a license for. And in this case, I hadn't done, none of the things I had done or they alleged met the standard for immediately suspending a license without even a hearing. So um, they realized they needed, they needed a better charge, so they ordered me to go see their neuropsychologist who would allegedly claim that I was either crazy or, or demented or a substance abuser. If I was crazy, demented, or a substance abuser, that would have been sufficient to take away my license. Anyway, my lawyers, I, the, the board assumed I would not fight back. It's extremely expensive to fight back, and I was 70 years old, and I would never make enough money to pay the costs. So they thought they were safe. And I'm sure they were directed either by the governor's office or by somebody in Washington to do this to me because it made the national news the next day. And um, I did fight back. And so by the time they started a hearing, they said, look, we're not, we're not charging you with misinformation anymore. We're dropping that. We're not charging you with prescribing hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin because those were both legal drugs and I was legally had the right to prescribe them. You know, we're going to try it when we're going to find something else to complain about. So they came up with some bogus charges that I'm incompetent at reading the medical literature. Otherwise, you know, why would I have prescribed ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine if I could read and knew that they weren't effective? And um, also that my records and my care of patients was not adequate. So it's kind of, kind so of that's ca- what happened and they made those charges. It's, it's like in Fra- France Kafka's The Trial, you know, where he never knows what he's being charged with. In your case, right. they charge you with this, and then, oh, well, no, that's, oh, we'll charge you with that. No, that, I guess that's not true, but we'll just make something else up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So now, look, so I've had five hearing days. The hearing isn't over, but they've rested their case, and uh, they weren't able to substantiate any of the charges that they brought, but they still haven't dropped the, the the thing and they have not uh, reinstated my license either. So, so but where, anyway, where they knew enough not to go to court on the misinformation charge. And you'll find over and over again, the government does not want to go to court and fight against the First Amendment. 